everybody, I'd like to welcome you to a special episode of our podcast. Uh, we're going to have it on YouTube as well as a video format, but I want to talk to you about how to grow your payments business in 2020. So the reason I'm making this episode every year for the last, I guess, three years, I've made my three predictions for the next year. And uh, so far, I've got a fairly good track record with it. And so I was getting ready to do that again this year and say, okay, what are my three predictions for the merchant services payments industry for 2020? And, you know, the funny thing is I've got a few things I'll share with you, but really nothing stuck out to me where I thought, you know what, I know exactly what prediction I want to make for this year. And so rather than me create something just that's fluff, which I don't like to do, I thought, you know, maybe a better thing to do would be to talk about the trends that are going to continue and the things that are happening in the payments industry. And I want to today give you three keys to growing your payments business in 2020, three things that I believe are really going to positively impact your business. So before we do that, Let's start by diving into the three trends that I kind of see continuing. Again, these aren't really predictions per se. I guess I'll make a few predictions along the way, but really these are just things I see happening in the industry that are going to continue happening. So we're going to do those three things first. Then I'm going to give you three keys to growing your payment processing business in 2020. Again, whether you're an ISO, whether you're an individual agent, doesn't matter. These tips are going to be broadly useful for you. So I really think you'll get a lot of value out of this episode of our podcast. And so I'm going to jump in right now and I'm going to give you the three kind of trends that I'm seeing and then talk about the three keys to growing your business this next year. The first trend that I'm seeing is that Cash discounting is going to continue. It was one of my predictions last year. A lot of people, you know, it's funny because this time last year, there was several big companies that were shutting down their cash discount programs. And so there was a lot of doubt in the industry about, oh, it's all over, you know, and it's so funny how many people were saying a year ago, oh, it's all over, you know. There's probably double the merchants today that are using cash discount as there were a year ago. Maybe not quite that steep, but it's a lot. And so, you know, that's going to continue to grow. Now, I do think that Visa will take some kind of action to follow up on their memo in the first quarter. But it's important, I think, for people to understand, and Visa's even said this in, uh, to different people I've talked to, that, you know, the idea is that Visa is not really an enforcement agency. You know, Visa was never set up to enforce rules at merchant locations they are set up to respond to complaints. So if a consumer is complaining to their issuing bank about a cash discount program or a surcharge that's not compliant or something like that, that will make it up its way, make it up the chain to Visa, and then they may be able to take some action at that point. But they're not really set up for like large-scale enforcement. And the truth is, consumers are generally not complaining very much about cash discount programs or surcharge programs. So there aren't as many complaints that are going up to Visa. And so Visa is not doing like large scale enforcement. That's not really what they're designed, you know, their organization is designed to do. Now, again, I do think in the first quarter, we'll see them take some additional steps this year to try to kind of tighten the tighten the the, the uh, constraints a little bit. So I'd be on the lookout for that. And of course, I'll post anything about it that happens on this channel um, and on our podcast. But I do think there's some things there that are going to happen, some, some changes that will be made, some things that will happen in the first quarter. But Honestly, I really don't see them having a huge impact because I don't see Visa deciding to do like serious enforcement. I think cash discounting is going to continue the way just like it has continued um, until legislation, you know, uh, there's legislation that's going to impact it. And as we all know, legislation is 
something that takes a long time. Uh, it's very, you know, uh, it's a slow process to get laws passed and enforced and things like that. And so I think we're going to see cash discounting around for quite some time. I don't really see, I have no big prediction for 2020 other than it's going to continue. Visa is going to take some stabs at trying to tighten the reins a little bit, but it's just too profitable for ISOs and merchants. There's just no, no way it's going to stop. I was reading a news article the other day and they were interviewing a business owner and um, the business owner had a large restaurant and they said, you know, aren't you afraid you're going to lose customers? And he's like, look, he's like, I'm saving $3,200 a month by having the non-cash adjustment in my business. And he's like, I'm not going to shut that down. He said, I might lose a customer here or there that gets upset about it. And that's tough, but I'm not going to lose $3,200 in profit from customers. You know, they have a low margin business. And so I think as you have increased economic pressure from larger competitors, um, these small business owners, they're not going to give up on it. It's just too profitable for them. Um, it's too profitable for the, for the ISOs that sell it. Um, there's just economic forces that are moving in that way. And so in order for, you know, it's like Visa tried to do their memo and they thought maybe that would kind of scare the industry into action, but it just hasn't. Um, and again, some of the larger acquirers are posturing, you know, and well, we don't support that. Well, okay, but you let all your ISOs do it anyway, you know? So I don't really see huge action taking place there and I could always be wrong, but I don't think 2020 is going to be the year when either, you know, cash discounting is going to take off like a rocket ship or, um, it's going to, you know, die. I, I don't think either thing is going to happen. I think it's going to continue. Surcharging is also doing very, very well. Um, I do think we'll see some, some movement with surcharging as far as different states allowing it, but I don't see it being like, this is the year where all 50 states are going to allow surcharging. I actually thought that was going to happen last year. Now I'm not convinced it's going to happen that quickly. I'm seeing these smaller states are moving a lot slower and I think it's going to be, uh, uh, quite some time. So my first prediction or trend, if you want to call it is, again, it's not an exciting one. It's not a sexy prediction. It's just, look, you know, I think everything's going to continue the way it is with cash discounting and surcharging, which means sell it. It's really, really profitable. You'll be aware of that trend. Um, it's coming to your market very soon if it hasn't already. The second trend or prediction I would give for 2020 before we get to some practical application here is that I think Square is going to post some serious profits at some point in 2020. It's a it's a risky prediction because Square seems, you know, hell bent on on uh, reducing their profits by overspending on things, but I get why they're doing it. They're trying to grow their marketing and everything and I understand that, but I think that Square is the most underestimated competitor in our industry right now and and by, it's funny, like I say that the entire outside business world that's looking at us is like Square is going to put you all out of business. But it's like everybody inside the industry is like, oh, Square, they're irrelevant. They're, they deal with small little merchants that, you know, it's like, wow, why, why are we not understanding this? So I think this will be, I think 2020 will be the year where Square is going to have at least one quarter where they're going to post some really serious profits and they're going to basically um, pull the curtain back on their financials to, to, you know, not that they're hiding anything, but kind of pull the curtain back to our industry of, Hey, look how much money we can make if we want to, you know, right now, the only reason they're not making money hand over fist is because they're spending so much money to acquire new accounts. I mean, like an insane amount of money, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so they're still doing that. And I think that, of course, is going to continue to some extent. But I think that investor pressure is really going to build this year. And Square is going to kind of pull that curtain back a little bit and say, hey, check this out. We can make X amount in a quarter. And when they do that, 
I'm hoping that that's going to be the final wake-up call. I've been putting a lot of content out about Square and the changes they've made. I think that'll hopefully be the final wake-up call to our industry to kind of go on the attack and say, hey, let's let's attack. Let's let's steal people from Square. Let's get this going. And so I think this will be the year that we kind of see Square in a different light. We see them as a, a true the true legitimate competitor that they really are um, and the kind of financial superhouse that they're becoming with all of the account acquisition uh, that they're doing. Um, now, that's the second one. The third and final trend is one that I talked about last year, I, I see it growing exponentially and continuing in 2020, and that is the shift towards ISV integrations, and specifically with a focus on verticals. So what I mean by this is, in 2020, you know, different businesses are going to expect customized solutions for their business type. They're going to want, they're not going to want, you know, a software solution that serves everybody. They're going to want a software solution that specifically serves them. The primary driver behind this is simply the market forces where right now you have to understand who you're competing with. There are so many fintech companies right now. It's like the only thing venture capitalists want to invest in right now is is uh, is fintech. And so the idea is these financial technology companies like ISVs that are coming out and saying, hey, we are the software that's going to solve all the problems for hair salons. We're the software company that's going to solve all the problems for pizza shops, et cetera, et cetera. As those are coming out and business owners are seeing those, they may not be buying into the solution right off the bat, but they realize they're starting to understand that, okay, there are actually very specific softwares that solve my unique needs in the marketplace. And as a result of that, if they're going to make a switch, that's what they're expecting. Now, there's, there's of course, several different ways that you can go about this, and we'll talk more about that in the kind of the practical application section. But I do see that as kind of a major trend um, that's moving forward is this idea of ISV integration. And again, with that specific vertical focus, you got to focus on a specific vertical. We're going to go after them with a specific solution. We need marketing materials for them. And so kind of segmenting the market. And this is something that um, our industry has just done an absolutely terrible, terrible, terrible job with. Um, I'm, I'm always amazed. You know, I'll go to companies that are huge companies that have employee teams of you know sales teams of employees and marketing teams and all of this. And it's like, What's your solution for hair salon? Well, we offer Clover. It's like, um, okay. But I mean, like, what app on Clover? And, like, where's your marketing piece? And where's the content that you have out for hair salons? Like, you know, like, what's your solution for hair salons? What do your salespeople have in terms of collateral? Like, is there special training? Do some of your sales reps really target them? You know, are you going after associations? Like, we, there really hasn't been very much segmentation yet in our market because it's still so easy, frankly, to get out there and just walk into a bunch of businesses and sell them. But I think in 2020, the trend of the ISV integrations is going to push far enough that it's going to actually start to bite a little bit. It's going to start to get a little bit difficult. And by the way, just a little preview of what's coming up here in the practical tips, but if you're really struggling in your prospecting efforts or your team's prospecting efforts and you're like, what could we do to grow? vertical focus. Okay. Like the reason that it's becoming more difficult, it's like in my head, it just makes total sense. It's the most obvious thing. Like if you walk into a hundred businesses five years ago, right? 85 of them had a standalone terminal. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like 
that's easy. You know, you can sell those people. They probably hate their current solution anyway. It's just about price. It's an easy transactional pitch. It's easy to train salespeople what to do in that situation. And that's cool. If you walk into those same hundred businesses today, only 50 of them have a standalone terminal. Well, to get the other 50 to switch to you is nearly impossible in most situations because you don't have a specific solution for that business. And so you're kind of a me too product. They've already got something that they like that they've bought within the last five years. So we, you know, it's like a dramatic, it's like a 35% decrease in the number of businesses that you can sell to anymore when you walk into a small business. And what's happening is that number is that percentage is continuing to climb in terms of the percentage of small businesses you walk into that already have an integration with an independent software vendor, an ISV. They've already got that software. They've already got the point of sale system. They already have the integrated solution that they want for their business. That percentage is going to go up. And so the only way for you to make sales is going to be to get those remaining businesses to do the, the software, to do the point of sale system, to do the gateway, whatever it is. Or it's going to be getting the people that have a general software solution to say, hey, I see you've got that, you know, micro system. We offer XYZ, you know, clothing retail solution for clothing retailers. Like that really specific solution that's like, why do you still have a general solution when all of your competitors are going specific and getting a specific software that solves their needs, right? So I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that trend, I see that really continuing this concept of, you know, uh, ISV integrations and a focus on verticals and providing the right solution for the right vertical that's going to solve their unique needs. So now that I've given you some trends that I see happening in 2020, the question is, what do you do about these trends, right? Well, I have three tips for you today that I really believe you could take these three tips, depending on your organization size, are you an individual agent, are you an ISO, you can implement these things in different ways to dramatically increase your ability to perform and grow your business in 2020 in the payment space. Are you ready for them? Number one, buy fame at a discount. Buy fame at a discount. Now, you might think, wow, that's not at all what I thought James was going to talk about today. But I'm telling you, we are in a very unique time in terms of marketing and in terms of branding. So you have a couple of options here. If you have a brand, you're a company, do you not realize that three or four years from now, it is going to be drastically more expensive for you to make your brand famous, for you to get your name out there? Because several things are going to happen over the next three, three four years. What's going to happen is that the cost of online advertising is going to go up, meaning Facebook ads are going to get more expensive. Instagram ads are going to get more expensive. Um, these platforms right now are really very inexpensive platforms for you to, to go after if you're willing to produce some decent content to, to get it out there, right? The other thing that's going to happen is more and more people are, it's not like less people are using online marketing or less people are creating content more people are creating content, more people are doing online marketing. And so it's getting more and more crowded and harder to stand out. Another reason to focus on verticals, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the idea here is this is the year 2020. I really think 2020 might be your last chance to really buy fame at a steep discount. Fame is just amazing. It's it's so incredible. And, and it's interesting because I really have a, like a firsthand experience with this because you know, I'm just a normal guy. I'm not somebody that's really, you know, like, oh, I'm like a, you know, movie star or something. It's not like that at all. But what's happened is in our industry, <clears throat> I'm famous. 
When I go places and meet with, you know, processing companies, I go and meet with agents. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows my name. They've all seen my videos. They know me. And so you're like, wow, you know, that's, that's amazing. I have that kind of fame in the industry that I'm able to leverage to make a lot of money. But you know, I'll tell you a little secret. My fame was actually really, really cheap. It didn't cost me very much money. You know, I spend, you know, maybe a thousand dollars a month on Facebook ads. Like it's, I don't spend like that much. Um, it's not that expensive. Why isn't it that expensive? Because I'm going after a very specific niche. I'm looking for people that are involved in selling credit card processing. There's not that many of them. There's like a hundred thousand of you out there. So all I have to do is reach all hundred thousand of you. It's not that tough. And so for me, leveraging that is, has been very inexpensive. And the thing that's interesting though, is it's getting a little bit harder and it's getting a lot more expensive every year, you know? Three, four years ago, it was super easy for me. I wasn't even paying for advertising. Like just the fact that I was putting out content about how to sell credit card processing, I was like the only one. And so it was really easy. It was really, really cheap. Today, there are a few others out there putting some content out. Not that many, but it's happening, right? And Facebook ads are more expensive now. Instagram ads are more expensive now. So where I used to spend nothing or maybe a hundred bucks a month, now I maybe spend a thousand, you know? But what I realize is that three to five years from now, if I don't have my audience in place with YouTube, with LinkedIn, with Facebook, with Instagram, then it's going to be very expensive for me. And it's going to be the same thing for you. 2020 might be your last chance to leverage these platforms in a cost-effective way to get a huge lead. Because if you don't, chances are somebody else might do that. So the question is, who are you trying to target, right? You're trying to target small business owners. Hopefully you're trying to target maybe specific verticals as well. So the question is, how can you either create a unique position for your brand or how can you become a thought leader as an individual person, as a personal brand to go after that particular market segment. And you've got to be creative about it. And so you start with the content strategy. You don't start with the marketing. You start with the content. So the idea is how could your brand or you as an individual add value to your target market? What do nail salon owners want to hear about? If you're going to go after them, what do small business owners in Atlanta, Georgia, what would they, what kind of a podcast would they like to listen to? Um, what type of videos would they be searching for? You've got to think outside the box. It doesn't have to be payment processing specific. You just have to find out what is the niche where you can establish your brand personal or otherwise, or become a thought leader, how can you establish yourself? How can you buy that fame so that people know who you are? They follow you. They give you their email address. They connect with you on LinkedIn. They subscribe to you on YouTube. They follow you on Instagram. Um, all of these different platforms that currently exist right now that are a huge opportunity. How are you going to establish yourself? Because make no mistake about it. Somebody will establish themselves as either the brand or the thought leader or both for your exact market that you're going after. Okay. The question is, will it be you? 2020, in my opinion, might be one of the last chances that you have to make it you. So many of you are going to have to really come out of your shell in 2020. You're going to have to say, you know what, James, I've been scared to get on camera. I've been scared to write articles. I've been scared to do an audio podcast. Um, you know, I didn't want to invest the money in the equipment. Um, you know, I don't want to have to learn all these new things. You know what? That's tough. You're in a business. You're going to have to learn some new things. You're going to have to come outside of your comfort zone. Do you know something? I'll tell you another secret about me. 
I am not at all. You asked my wife, Christina, I am not at all the guy who wants to be out in front of everybody. Did you know that last year I went to the WSAA in Chicago because I was invited to be a part of a, a entrepreneur's breakfast there? That is the first industry event that I've ever gone to. And I've been in this industry for 10 years. I've never gone to any other industry event ever. And I'm like Mr. Personal Brand on selling merchant services. You know why? Because I am not a outgoing person that just loves to talk to new people and meet strangers. That's not me. But guess what? Here you are watching my video. You know why? Because I realized a long time ago, if I want to be successful in this environment, I'm going to have to do some things that are a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Me being in front of a camera and talking to people all the time, going to doing consulting trips, um, doing all the stuff that I do and, you know, training agents and all that. It's not like that's like my, you know, right in my wheelhouse of my comfort zone. It just happens to be the thing that I'm best at. I'm really good at doing it. And so I had to figure out what I was good at and say, you know what, if I want to be successful, I'm going to have to do the things that I'm good at, even if it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Some of you, you are a great writer. You could make amazing articles and you could promote those articles through Facebook ads or Instagram posts. You could take quotes and put them on Twitter and then do those, you know, do the same posts as images on Instagram. Like you could do some really cool stuff with your writing ability. Some of you have a voice for radio. Like you really could do well talking. You're not good at, you don't want to be on camera. You're not good at being on camera, but you could talk. Okay. Start a podcast, right? Some of you, you would be dynamite on camera and you're even creative enough to find really cool ways. You could make way better videos than me. You know how many times my staff has told me, James, can we get a shot of you walking into businesses? Can we get you out to like walk down the street? Like, do you always have to be in your studio? And it's like, I barely can do this. Like I'm really comfortable here. I've gotten comfortable in my studio taking a video of me walking down the street. I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. You know, seriously, like some of you are really creative. You think there's like, wow, James makes all these videos. Many of you could do way better than I do with this stuff. Really? You could go after merchants with it, right? Go make some creative content and do your best with that. This is not my thing. This is not my, my, you know, my ideal situation is being in my office with the door closed, reading a book or programming uh, a computer program. <laughs> That's me in my happy place. Okay. So you got to come out of your comfort zone a little bit, just like I've had to, and you've got to adapt to this. But 2020 might be your last year to buy fame at a discount, whether it's your brand, personal or business. This might be your last chance, so you better take advantage of it while you can. So my first tip for you was to buy fame at a discount. My second tip is that you need to stop waiting and you need to start executing. So our industry, as I talk to salespeople, as I talk to ISOs, I get this weird vibe that many people are just kind of waiting. You know, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen with cryptocurrency? What's going to happen with cash discounting? Is it going to go away? Is it going to stay here? Um, what's going to happen with surcharging? Uh, is it going to be in all 50 states? What's going to happen with point-of-sale systems? Is Clover going to win? You know, um, And really, all of that stuff is good once a year to kind of reflect on and say, okay, what's going to happen? What are the industry trends? That's why I do this every year. But you know, then once you get done kind of reflecting, make your decision and then go. Stop waiting and start executing because we don't know how long we have. We really don't, you know, it, we, have, there's so many industries you can look at, you know, look at the, look at the brokerage industry as far as mortgages go. Do you know how many people just like you had a mortgage brokerage or they were an individual mortgage broker and they were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and that was all happening, you know, whatever, 10 years ago, 12 years ago before the crash. Do you know how many of those people today 
would love to go back and work a little bit harder and push a little bit harder to make a little bit more money when they could. Now the industry is all regulated and you know, many of them are out of a job. Many of them had to find a new industry. Many of them have come to our industry, right? You have to understand that there's a sense of urgency here because no matter how good you have it, no matter how big your residuals are, you need to understand that none of that stuff is absolutely secure. None of that stuff is like, oh, great. Well, that's just going to be around forever. I'm, I'm all set. You know, I've got my residual income. I'm good. I don't need to work anymore. Well, you might want to rethink that. Okay, because again, how many of those mortgage brokers, uh, you know, would love to go back 12 years ago and say, you know what, when I was taking those, you know, eight vacations a year, maybe it would have been better for me to actually get some work done and to make a little bit of extra money because who knew that my industry was going to crash and burn through regulation. You know, it's not like our industry is immune to that. It's not like, you know, three, four years from now, the maybe the cash discounting and surcharging bubbles up and maybe that's the death of us all. You know, maybe it's like, Hey, now all of a sudden that gets the attention of Congress and they, uh, they decide to regulate the industry and say, ah, oh, we've had enough of this, you know, wild, wild west. Let's just regulate the whole industry and say, this is what you can charge. This is what it is. You can't charge more than that. We're going to regulate interchange. We're going to do all these things. And next thing you know, we have an industry where a lot of the models that exist today, where we're able to make a lot of money, uh, a lot of the models that exist that allow ISOs and acquirers to pay out a lot of money. Those models just are obsolete. They don't exist anymore. So, you know, I'm not trying to be doomsday here at all. I'm just trying to say that things change. Industries come and go. Um, and, you know, good programs and industries come and go. Right now, our industry is really strong. It's exciting. Again, I think 2020 is could potentially be a great year. I think 2020 has the potential to be our best year as an industry in terms of profitability and, and many other metrics. And so it's a big year. It's an exciting time, but don't get comfortable. Don't say, I'm just going to wait and see what happens next. No, like 2020 is your chance. You better get going. You better make something happen in 2020 because if you don't, you know, who knows what's going to happen after that, right? Maybe you've got three years. Maybe you've got four. Maybe you've got 10. I don't know how many years. Maybe you have two. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what the next economic crash is going to happen and what it's going to look like. We don't know what that's going to do to regulation. There's so many unknowns. I would really encourage you, like this business right now, this is an amazing opportunity. And I would really encourage you to stop waiting and start executing. Make your plan for 2020 and then make it happen because this is really the year that there's really, we have good trends. We have good momentum. We have good things happening. I don't have any big predictions of like, the whole world's going to change about our industry this year. I, I mean, I could always be wrong, right? But I don't think that's going to happen in 2020. I think 2020 is like, hey, everybody, we've got another year. It's like, yes, you know, we have another year potentially where we can go out there and make money, where we can build residual portfolios, where we can build that value. Like, this is the year. We have another year we can recruit agents and train them and, and just pour our heart and soul into these people and try to help them to be successful. Like, we have another year in this industry to do what we do best. Let's go do it right? Let's not wait. Let's go do it. This is our year 2020. We can make it happen. So my second tip for you is, is very simple. And that is stop waiting and start executing. What are you waiting for? 2020 is coming. It's the year where we can make things happen in the industry. Let's do it. My final tip for you is to get serious about sales training. Get serious about sales training. Now, admittedly, this last one's a little bit self-serving for me, but I'm not really going to focus in that direction. What I want to talk to you about is our industry and the seemingly complete lack of sales training in this industry, it really is kind of shocking, to be honest with you. And I'm not just talking about my training. What I'm talking about is just in general sales training. So if you are an individual sales agent, you should make it a goal to read one sales book a month 
every month in 2020. If you are a company, it should be your goal to make sure that each month your sales team has some kind of unique sales training experience that they can go through. Because what's happened is our industry has been so spoiled over the years with just easy money. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, how does everybody not know about this industry? It's unbelievable. You just go out there and play the numbers game and people just sign up because they hate their current provider. And then they sign up with you. You get residual for a little while until they hate you. And then you, they switch to somebody else. And we just have this great revolving door where we're all just getting accounts and we're passing accounts around the industry and we're all making a lot of money. This is exciting. Well, guess what? Those times are coming to an end. Okay. We're going to have to start actually selling people. We're going to have to actually start selling solutions. We're going to have to start doing some value selling. We're going to have to start figuring out some sales psychology. We're going to have to start implementing real sales strategies and sales tactics. Now, the good news is that all of those things now exist. I read sales books all the time. I read dozens of sales books, sales strategies. I'm always trying to implement them with my consulting clients as we build custom sales training programs for this industry. And I'm not the only one. There are others doing sales training. And so use them, use me, use anybody that you want. Like get sales training, seriously. Like it's getting harder and harder to get these people from outside of the industry and say, hey, Good luck. You know, we're going to do a two hour webinar with you and then we're going to throw you out in the field and we know you're going to be successful. <laughs> well, they're probably not like 2020 is going to be a tough year for people that are coming in because what's going to happen is they're going to get out in the field. And it's so funny. Like there's so many of you right now, you're the ones training the agents now or, or not training them, but like recruiting them and getting them going and doing a little bit of training. And it's like, you're training them predicated on your experience five years ago. You got out in the field five years ago and you were like, Psh, this is like taking candy from a baby. I mean, this is nothing. Everybody has a little VX, you know, back then everybody had a hypercom, you know, T4210 and I'm going to upgrade them to the, you know, VX520 or whatever it was like. And it was like so easy, like we're going to save you money. It's just a no brainer. And your whole training is predicated on something that worked five years ago that doesn't work anymore. You got to understand these people are getting out there and one out of every five businesses they walk into in their market has square. You know, and another one out of five has some other ISV solution and another one out of five has a tablet POS system. And it's like, there's two of five left. Those two have switched 17 times in the last three years and they don't want to switch again. So we've got to get more creative about this thing. We can't just throw people out there. You know, you're even those of you that are recruiting experienced agents and you're like, oh, I've got this experienced rep. They can get eight deals every month like clockwork. You know, well, you might think that, but you know what? The crazy thing is that person that's getting eight deals a month like clockwork, they could probably get 15 a month like clockwork if you would give them some sales training and if you would create a real marketing approach where they're going after specific verticals, where you're giving them marketing materials, where they're, you're giving them demo units, like you've got to train, 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 train. If our industry is going to make this shift, if we're actually going to compete with Square, if you as an individual agent are actually going to compete with Square, if you're going to compete with Stripe, if you're going to compete with PayPal, if you're going to compete with Braintree, if you're going to compete with these big companies, you're going to have to know what you're talking about. You're going to have to be able to present integrated solutions. Okay. You just have to, it's going to get harder. 2020 could be your worst year. If you say, you know what, 2020, I'm going to do the same thing I did in 2015. And here we go. Good luck. You're probably going to fall on your face and you're going to be like, this industry sucks now. I need to go find something else. No, you suck because you haven't changed anything since 2015 and the whole industry has changed. So it's still an amazing opportunity. As I said in the last step, it's like 2020 could be your best year ever, 
but that whole idea is using the assumption that you're going to be better in 2020 than you've ever been before. You're going to be different. You're going to be better. You're going to learn new things. You're going to learn how to present technology. You're going to learn how to go through a real demo with a merchant. Some of you have been selling merchant services for eight years, for seven years, for 10 years, and you've literally never demoed technology. Never. You just talk about statements, right? And you're like, well, I just talk about statements and I save them money and, and they switch to me. Good for you. And if that continues to work, I hope it does. I wish you great success. I think that trend is kind of coming to an end. And I think 2020 is the year that's going to be really hard for you as you realize, crap, everything's changing here. Everything's integrated. There's technology. I don't know what to do. Okay, it's time for you to regroup and say, hey, wait a second. I'm experienced. I still know more than all these newbies out there about the payments industry. I still know how to read a statement. I still have these skills. Let me add on to that solid foundation. Let me choose two point of sale systems in 2020 that I'm going to become an expert in, right? Maybe you're like, I'm going to do Zusa and I'm going to do Clover or I'm going to do, you know, whatever, right? There's so many of them. Pick your system and you're like, I'm going to get really good at these two systems and I'm going to become an expert. I'm going to buy a demo unit. I'm going to start demoing them to clients. I'm going to start this whole conversation. Then you're still getting the statements. You're still making the sales. You're still paying the bills with what you've done. But make 2020 the year where you expand that and you learn new things and figure out how to do new things that are going to make you really successful moving forward. So my third prediction or my third tip, I guess I would say, um, is that once you've bought fame at a discount, that's key number one, then you want to stop waiting and start executing. That's number two, right? And then number three is you got to focus on sales training and ability, whether you're an individual or you're training a team, you need to take your skills. You need to take them to the next level. You need to understand what you're talking about. If you're willing to do those three things, I am confident that 2020 is going to be an amazing year for you. Now, last thing I want to tell you is I wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Hope you have a great new year. I've got some exciting things planned with our company going into next year in 2020. I know you do as well. I'll be sharing some of that over the coming weeks, but Generally, I think most of our industry, we're going to enjoy some time with our family and we're going to be planning and gearing up for an exciting 2020. I wish you a happy holiday. Hope you have a great time with your family and your friends. And I will be seeing you with my regular content again next year in January. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.